If it is your first time here, and I know it is for so many of you, welcome. This is Downtown Harbor Church. My name is John. I'm one of the uh, pastors around here. I really appreciate you guys coming on out. Like Adam was saying, it is baby dedication day. My own daughter is getting dedicated at the end along with several other children. So it's exciting. A lot of us have family. I got friends here today. And so it's always interesting, you know, like having friends in the room because it's kind of like having friends show up at your office and watching, you know, like you do your job. That's kind of what's happening for me today. But if you haven't been here before, just to kind of clue you into the conversation we've been having for the last four weeks, we have been in this series called The Big Ten, and what we've been looking at are the Ten Commandments. So even if you're not a Christian, maybe, maybe, maybe you're Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, you're nothing, chances are you've heard of the Ten Commandments. I mean, you might not know where they are or know exactly what they say, but you, you've heard them in passing. And so what we've been doing is kind of drilling down on the Ten Commandments, the greatest set of rules that the world has ever seen. Now, in week one, when we launched this series, we took a look at the events leading up to the giving of the Ten Commandments. And in week one, we learned a powerful truth. And every week I've been sort of bringing it back to the forefront of our minds because if we learn nothing from this whole series, this one truth, I just want to make sure we know this one truth, this is the most important thing. What we learned in week one is that a relationship with God is not established by keeping his rules. And this is so important. Because there are so many people, and maybe you're one of them, and if you are one of them, I am so glad you're here today. But there are so many people who are living under the impression, the notion, the assumption that in order for God to love you, in order for God to accept you into his family, if you will, you must obey his rules. For example, we're looking at the Ten Commandments. Let's use those. If you nail all ten, God loves you, right? You do eight, okay, we can work with that. Six, getting a little dicey. Five, you're toast, okay? It's over. Nice try. But this is how a lot of us sort of perceive God and, and what a relationship with God looks like. Many of us believe that the better you obey God's rules— the more God will love you, and the more he will bless you. Well, what we learned in week one is very important. We learned that a relationship with God is actually established by faith, meaning you can't obey your way to God. You can't behave your way to God. You can't perform your way to God. You can't good person your way to God or good works your way to God. And thank God, because if that were the case, you would live your entire life wondering if you'd done enough. You would go all the way to your dying breath wondering, have I obeyed enough? Have I behaved enough? Have I performed enough for God to accept me? And thankfully, based on what we see in Scripture and what we saw in this series, all God wants from you is for you to trust Him. Specifically, as we read, God wants you to trust what He's done for you through Jesus. Jesus said it like this, he tells them, look, this is the only work, the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent, speaking of himself. So if you place your faith in Christ, you and God are good. You're good. Now at that point, God's going to give you some rules because he loves you and you're part of his family. But he doesn't give you those rules as a condition of his love. Rather, he gives you those rules as a confirmation of his love. And so with that in mind, every single week we've been taking a look at God's rules. 
Now, today what I want to do is I want to turn our attention to the fourth commandment. That's where we are in this series. Now, the fourth commandment is the longest of all the commandments, a lot of subsections and all that kind of stuff. We're not going to read all of it, but I want to read you part of the fourth commandment, and then I'm going to say a couple of things. So here is the fourth commandment, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 10. We'll start there. Here it is. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That's the fourth commandment. Remember to keep the Sabbath day. God goes on and he says, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. It kind of qualifies it a little bit more. He says, on that day, no one in your household may do any work. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Let me just stop there real quick. If the idea of God creating the world in six literal 24-hour days is a problem for you, you're not alone. We're going to circle back to this at the end of the day because I'm going I'm to help you work through that. But God says on the seventh day, he rested. So that's the fourth commandment. And you really got to love the fourth commandment because God had this opportunity 3,500 years ago to establish what life would look like for his people, the nation of Israel. And he says to them, okay, top 10 rules. Number four, I want you to take a day off. That's what I want for you. I, I want you to work hard for six days, but on that seventh day, I'm commanding you take the day off. As I read that, it's almost like God is saying, I design you to function best when you take time to breathe. When you build into your schedule, let's call it your weekly schedule, time to breathe, time to pause, time to reflect, you will appreciate life more. You'll appreciate each other more, and you will appreciate our relationship more. So when the sun goes down on Friday, that's when the Sabbath starts, you stop working. You don't pick another olive. You don't pick another grape. You don't pick another grain of wheat. You lay down your tools for an entire 24-hour period because I want you to rest and reflect on the life, there it is, I have given you. So the Sabbath you know, we're more familiar with, with our Jewish friends practicing the Sabbath. The Sabbath was this mandatory day where no work can be done. And on the Sabbath, you focus on God. You focus on the fact that he is the one and only God, the true God. You focus on the fact that he is your provider, your defender, your rescuer, and your savior. Now, here's something interesting. The fourth commandment is the only commandment out of the top 10 that is no longer applicable to Christians, right? You're still not allowed to murder anybody, which is a bummer, but you, if you are a Christian, I know many of you are in this room, you can skip sort of the tradition of taking an entire day off of work. Why? That's a big discussion. To be honest with you, it's too big for today. I think it's too big for a Sunday. I think it's better suited to a Bible study than a Sunday sermon. But the Reader's Digest, right, the too long didn't read, is that Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. Scripture says that Jesus is a better Sabbath. He called himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And in the book of Hebrews, we read that we, 
as his followers, find our ultimate rest no longer in a day, but in him. Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, speaking to a group of Christians, says this, so do not let anyone make rules for you about eating and drinking or about a religious feast or a new moon festival or, here it is, a Sabbath day. Paul would go on to say, look, you could observe the Sabbath if you want, but it's no longer mandatory. So with that in mind, let's close in prayer. Dear Father, I want to thank you for, no, you wish, right? You wish church was that short. Not a chance. So while the fourth commandment is no longer applicable to Christians in its original context, I do believe there's incredible wisdom that we can learn from it. So when I look at the fourth commandment, and I look at how he sort of lays out the fourth commandment, what I see God doing is creating what I'll call a weekly drama. A weekly drama of working six days and resting for one, and working six days and resting for one. And I think that pattern forced the Israelites to be mindful of the rhythm of life. Because time is our most valuable asset. You can always get a new car. I mean, right now you can't. But you used to be able to get a new car, okay? You can always earn more money, but you cannot get more time. And our inclination as humans is to just cram as much as possible into our day and take nothing out. We just do, we do so much, but we never seem to enjoy much of anything that we do. Life is just a blur. It's, you know, hey, I'm going to be 15 minutes late. I'm so sorry. And by the way, I got to leave 15 minutes early. Honey, what time is your, you know, your recital? You, and when, 7.30, and when exactly do you get on stage? And it's going to go like five minutes because I got I to gotta leave right we drive fast, we choke down food. Life is just a frenzy. And so with that in mind, I just want to drill down on a concept that I think the fourth commandment really touches on. And I just want to have a conversation about our time. See, Moses, when he received the Ten Commandments, was about 80 years old. And he would live to be 120 years old. And over those 40 years, he implemented the Sabbath into his life. He was out there in the desert, and he would work for six days, and then he would stop and reflect. And he would work for six days, and then he would stop, and he would reflect. And after 40 years of being mindful of his days, he saw life more clearly. He saw time differently. And I want to show you what he found. Now, before I show you, I'm just going to say this. If we can begin to run all of our decisions through what Moses is about to say, it can change your life. And the reason I know it can change your life is because it can change your time, and your time is your life. So after years, 40 years of being mindful of his days, of building into his schedule each week time to reflect, Moses says this, Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our home since the beginning. Meaning as your children, we live our lives in you. Yeah, we may physically live in a desert or we may live in Fort Lauderdale or New Jersey or New York or wherever you're from, but ultimately, ultimately, we live in you. And before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What he's saying here is God... There has never been a time that you haven't existed. 
There will never be a time when you don't exist from everlasting to everlasting. And somewhere in between all of that comes me. And somewhere in between everlasting to everlasting comes you. And then he says something seemingly morbid. He says, you turn people back into dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. Now, this is just Moses' way of saying God has control and input into the days of our lives. And for most of us, I would argue, whether we recognize it or not, whether we would articulate it or not, I really believe most of us believe that God has something to do with the length of our time. And I can prove it to you. If you found out tomorrow that you had a terminal disease, would you pray? I mean, if you found out tomorrow that someone you know and you love has a terminal disease, would you pray? And regardless of the fact that you haven't prayed in a long time, there is something inside of you that would say, God, please help. And that might be the prayer. Because there's something inside of you that believes that God has something to do with the number of our days. And then Moses says something awesome. Let's us in on a little secret about God. He says, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. Or a watch in the night. A watch is a three-hour period of time. In the beginning of today, we talked about how the fourth commandment said that God created the world in six days. And like I said, for many of you, that's a problem. That bothers you. Jesus, all right. God, okay. Six literal days, mm, that doesn't square with science. So let me help you here. Moses right here is telling us that in God's eyes, a thousand years huh, could be a day. It could be three hours. So if the idea of God creating this world in six literal days is keeping you from saying yes to God, I'm just saying, God is bigger than your day. But what Moses is saying here, I think, I think it goes, God, with how big you are, everlasting to everlasting, thousands of years, it's just like three hours in your eyes. With how big you are, how does my life look to you? I mean, my life is so big to me, but how does my life look in the context of a thousand years? Because our lifetime is 70 years, he says. Or if we're strong, 80. But the years are full of hard work and pain. And they pass quickly. And then we are gone. Uplifting stuff, right? Aren't you glad you came to church today? This is like a life first. You should write this down and put it on your mirror when you're brushing your teeth and reflect on this. But come on, this is real life? You're telling me you've never felt like this? Come on. See, so often we kind of look at Scripture and we say, you know, it was written by a bunch of men sitting in their ivory tower. What do they know about real life? Telling us not to worry. Telling us to do this. Moses had a hard life. And then he says something. Because it's written in ancient Hebrew. I mean, it was written 3,500 years ago. It doesn't translate well. I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to tell you what it means. Moses says this. If we only knew which means there's something we don't know. If we only know, he says, which means there's something that I'm about to say that's not intuitive. There's something that I'm about to say that if you don't pay attention to it, you'll miss it. If we only knew the power 
of your anger. Ooh, we don't like that word. Your wrath, oh, is as great as the fear that is your due. Well, that makes a lot of sense, Moses. Now, I told you, the ancient Hebrew was very clunky when you try to put it into modern English, but here's what this means in spite of what it says. Moses is saying, if we could see God as he is, we would give him the reverence he deserves. If somehow we could pull off the shackles of humanity, if somehow we could pull off the shackles of this earth and see God as he is, then when it comes to the time in our lives, we would give him the reverence he deserves. Because I have this tiny, tiny slice of time to do something with my life. So wouldn't it be rational and logical and appropriate to give God the glory? To say it differently, if we could see God as he is, we would be more careful with the time we've been given. Because if we really understood, and I mean really understood, that God provided us with life, with breath, with a heartbeat. I mean, if we really understood that all the time we have was given to us by God, we are but stewards of the time that we have on this earth. And if we really understood that we are here today and gone tomorrow, then we would probably rethink what we do with this gift of limited time. And we don't think like this, do we? I mean, it really isn't until God commands us to take a day off, to pause, to reflect, to contemplate our days that you realize what a precious gift time really is. Then Moses wraps up by giving us the application. This is the verse that ties our entire day together. He says, teach us to number our days. To say it differently, teach us to live as if our days are numbered. Teach us, God, because we don't do this naturally. See, we spend our days as if we're going to live forever. We spend our days as if we're always going to have our children. We spend our days as if we're always going to have our spouses. We spend our days as if we're always going to have our parents. We spend our days as if we're always going to have our health, but the truth is, we spend our days as if our time is unlimited. And we know it's not. And yet when it comes to how we schedule our days and what we cram into our days and what we prioritize in our days or we don't prioritize, we live as if our days are not numbered. And Moses says, that's a huge mistake you got to number your days. Now, we've done this in other areas of our life. Remember back to school, when you had a final exam on a Friday, you numbered your days. You made the most of every single day leading up to that test. When you got married, there was a date on the calendar, and you made the most of every day, week, and month leading up to that ceremony. We get a baby now, like I mentioned. We're not just numbering our days now. We're numbering our hours. Okay, she's up. We got 90 minutes until she goes back down. We got we to, what are we going to do? We got to prioritize. We got to feed her. We got to change her. Clock's ticking. Okay, we want to read a book. We want to go for a walk. We, when we realize that time is limited, we have to limit what we do with our time. Teach us the number of our days. Moses is saying, what would it look like if we lived that way? 
And here's the promise if we do. He says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. At this church, we, we define wisdom as, as understanding that all of life is connected. That what you did yesterday impacts who you are today and where you are today. Wisdom helps you understand that what you do today will impact who you are tomorrow and where you'll be tomorrow. And when we learn to number our days, we gain wisdom as to what we should prioritize in our life. Numbering our days gives us the wisdom to say, I need to spend more time doing that. I need to spend less time doing that. I need to spend no time doing that. And I got to start doing this. Moses' bottom line, when you kind of look at what he's saying here, is that when you see the time you have left, you get more serious about the time you have now. But here's the kicker. None of us knows how much time we have left. So in these last few minutes, I just want to fast forward all of our lives to the very end. And I want us to experience the wisdom that we would normally gain at the end. When we look back over our entire life. Recently, a book was published. Interesting book. Top five regrets of the dying. Now, the author of this book worked in palliative care. She was a hospice nurse. And if any of you have ever had family in hospice, you know these nurses are saints. They're wonderful people. It's a ministry they're doing. And her job was to spend time with people in the last 12 weeks of their life. And over the course of her job, she began to ask these folks one single question. Do you have any regrets? And over the years, a pattern emerged. And I just pulled out one regret out of the top five. Just one that really struck me, particularly with today's conversation. And the regret that I'm going to show you is the regret that people had in the last few days on earth. And in some cases, in the last few hours. They said, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. When I read that, I immediately thought of my grandfather. He was a pastor for over 50 years. And one time he said, John, you know, in, in my line of work, I've been doing this for 50 years. He's done a lot of funerals. He's done a lot of hospital beds. Never once did I hear anyone say, you know what? I wish I worked more. I wish I didn't just work six days. I wish I worked all seven. Let me pull a quote from this book because it's just unbelievably convicting. Author says, this came from every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret, but as most were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners. But look at this. All of the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. You know what this means? It means if we don't learn how to number our days, we will die with an avoidable regret. And God knew this. 
This is why 3,500 years ago, he told a primitive culture to begin to keep track of their days. Make sure you pause and reflect on the life and the time I've given you because there's so much at risk if you lose track of time. Because when you think you have all the time in the world with your children, when you think you have all the time in the world with your spouse, when you think you have all the time in the world to seek God and thank God and worship God, and then you realize that you don't have all the time in the world, you can't go back. God, in commanding us to take a day off, has invited us to live differently. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we throw this word on the screen. We just want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So at the top of the message, I, I said, according to the New Testament, Christians, of which many of you are, are no longer commanded to observe the Sabbath day in its original sense. Got a problem with that, take it up with Paul. But I do think the idea of pausing to examine the rhythm of our lives, particularly as it relates to God and others, is vitally important. So here's the big macro question I want you to chew on. What are you doing with your life? And I, I don't mean like, you know, some dad like, wow, what are you doing with your life? I mean, what are you doing with your life? Because according to Moses, we are here today and gone tomorrow. So what are you doing with the precious gift of time? What do you need to add? What do you need to add to your life? See, when you begin to number your days, when you begin mindful of all that God has given you, what is it that you need to add into your life? Do you need to spend more time with your children? Do you need to prioritize your marriage? Do you need to be more content to show more gratitude? Do you need Jesus in your life? How about this? What do you need to remove from your life? Now, this is a tough one. Because for some of you, this might be a name you got to put here. Because there's a person in your life or there are people in your life who are stealing your life and you know it. Maybe it's a dead-end job. You're, you're, you're wasting your days doing something you, you don't love. Maybe, and God got me on this one this week, maybe you need to remove worry. Jesus said worry won't add a single hour to your life. And those of us who worry, you know it certainly removes life. We all have a limited amount of time. So we need to limit what we are doing with our time. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we come together today and study a rule that is 3,500 years old. But it is so relevant in our lives today. God, I truly believe you have blessed us with every breath, every heartbeat, and every second of our lives. And I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to use those days wisely to serve you, to love those around us,
I pray that you would help us in this endeavor. Help us, Lord, to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray.